When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Performance Anxiety. This week we spend time with Mickey Bereni of Poroshka. You might also recognize her from her first band, Lush. Her path into music is a lot different from most. She talked about working with Robin Guthrie, touring with Lollapalooza in the early 90s, and how she left music behind completely after Lush's drummer took his own life. After a 20-year absence, Lush reunited, and it lit a spark within her that really started burning with her new band, Poroshka. And we get a moose cameo. Follow Paroshka Band on social media. Follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. Merchandise is at performanceanx.threadless.com. Here's Mickey and a little bit of moose. Hi, I'm Mickey Brenny. I'm in a band called Paroshka. Um, you may know me better from a band called Lush, and you're listening to Performance Anxiety. That was awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate <laughs> Great. it. So it's I don't been... have to do seven of them. No. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. That's fine. So. <clears throat> I literally just remembered about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I've got that stupid podcast I got to do. No, it wasn't. The, it wasn't. That wasn't the tone. It was just that I had a bit of a bit of a Friday night and then. I just knew there was something I was forgetting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've taken my HRT tablet. I've taken my cold remedy tablet. I've made my bread. And I thought, something's missing. <laughs> oh, fuck. Bloody <laughs> podcast. I don't know how to use FaceTime. What am I doing? Hang on. Okay, but anyway, it's fine. It's fine. All right. Good. Well, I know it's... Uh, it- it's a little bit of a time difference, so I really do appreciate you having a little bit of time for me. And what time is it there? It's uh, ten o'clock in the morning. Okay, that's not too bad. No, 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 that's not at all. fine. Uh, I had one. I'll have athletes on. Well, I do another sports podcast, and I had uh, athletes on from time to time, and they're a little harder to schedule. I had a guy who from the town I live in now, but he's playing for a basketball team in Greece. So. Wow. Yeah, to get him, I had to be up at like three in the morning to record him. So, <clears throat> yeah, that one took a little bit of timing and you really, really had to want to have him on. So, <laughs> but he's a nice guy. He's from the town I live in, uh, Winchester, Virginia. So it's a, uh, it was worth it. Right. So, <laughs> so what I want to know a little bit about how you got into music in the first place. So were you born and raised in London? Yes. Okay. And were your parents musical at all? Um, I mean, yeah. My mum plays the piano. Um, my granny used to play the piano. Um, I don't think my dad was musical at all, actually. <laughs> Apart from singing Elvis songs in the car on the way to school. Like, no. Um, so, no, it wasn't like a massive part of... You know, growing up, I didn't really have music lessons apart from at school. So it wasn't like it was a, a particular thing. I think it was more 
um, just, you know, I, I do remember when I was, at, I've moved a lot of schools actually, <clears throat> um, but I remember sort of being uh, around sort of 11 when a lot of that scar kind of stuff, you know, like madness yes. and sexual and all of that stuff was in the charts and number one, you know, so it was, which when you're a kid and you don't have any other siblings, certainly not, you know, really, that was, you know, you get your music from the pop charts, you know. Right, right, yeah. But it was actually very, very good music to have in the charts, I've got to say. I mean, I loved Blondie and I loved, you know, other chart stuff as well. But I do remember that particularly at that school, um, which was a very sort of inner London place called Labrook Grove in West London, which now is quite well healed, but then was, you know, very multicultural, lots of different races, you right. know, all kids from different backgrounds, mostly, you know, council estates and working class. Okay. And actually that music was like a big part of everybody's life as oh, kids, yeah. you know, it was really sort of fun and exciting to get into. And I just remember sort of, you know, doing all those two-tone drawings on <laughs> my pencil case and, you know, that <laughs> yep. kind of thing. So I think when you... When you get a sort of musical movement like that when you're young, uh, you know, a, a particular period in your life, it can really sort of take it, take you over, can't it? And, oh, yeah. And, you know, it's – and I, you know what's interesting as well? I, I think I watched something by Madness the other day, uh, being on top of the pops, and I forgot how young they were. You know, yeah. they were only like 18 or something. Oh, wow. So, again – you know, when I first saw them doing like My Girl or whatever, I mean, they were really, really young themselves. So it was, you yeah. Know, so anyway, at that point, you're well, you're even younger. So you you see these guys. Oh yeah, those guys are in. They're grown ups. And exactly, it takes a while for you but, to go back and look back and see that no, they were kids. But but even then, I think you can you can sort of see that these are kind of young people, you know, much easier as a sort of 12 year old, I think, to relate to someone who's seriously just still actually in their teens, you know yeah. what I mean? But then getting into, you know, like a, when I was a little bit older, like a lot of people at this other school were, you know, sort of into their older siblings music or their parents music. So it was like Bob Dylan and, you know, Led Zeppelin sort of seventies music. And it, yeah. It just didn't really resonate with me because all the doors, you know, and because oh. I thought, well, these people are like really fucking old yeah. or dead. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and all yeah. I'm saying is at that age, you know, oh, of yeah. course, I'm not going to discount all the music by older dead people. But at the time, really? I think when you're sort of 13 or something, you want something that's really current and yeah. kind of happening now. So, so I think that was my first real, you know, sort of, so slightly obsessive getting into music and actually buying albums and listening to every track and not oh, just the one that's on top of the pops or played on the radio. If you see what I mean? So is that what inspired you to, to start playing music or, or did you start with guitar or were you on piano or how did you get started to actually play? I, I didn't think of playing music at all. And basically I think what got me into that was when I was around 14, there was a group of us at school, including Emma, who I went on to form Blush with. And we all got into going to see bands. I mean, I think initially through, right, like, again, real pop stuff like Duran Duran or oh, yeah. Haircut 100 or something like that. Oh, you my know? gosh, yes. <laughs> Boy Meets Girl. Yeah. That's great. Song. Yes. That band, I remember them. So these were all the things that were in the charts. 
and so we would go along to like a, a what would be a big show, you know, okay. in a sort of seated London venue or something. But then we'd go and see their support band and then we go and see their support band and then these things can happen really rapidly and without within like sort of eight months you find yourself sort of you know i don't know downstairs at the clarendon in hammersmith in a pub that holds about <laughs> you know 120 people or something watching some bizarre what at the time felt like oh my god i don't even know what this is yeah. you know yeah. type music and I think, I mean, we did know about that stuff because we would listen to John Peel and we did know about these bands. But I think to have the courage to go actually go to those gigs when you're that young yeah, um, needed to be sort of, like I say, filtered down through the the Duran Duran <laughs> and the Blamange and then the, you know, and then the yeah. down, 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 down. Well, and um, that makes total sense because it's, you know, at that time, bands like Duran Duran, they were big. So you, you're not going to catch a band like that in a smaller club, but... You were in your early to mid-teens doing that. That's I, that's pretty crazy. I, I remember the first show that I saw, I uh, was I 16, but it, it was Rush. So we ended up going to this enormous stadium. My buddy's, yeah, my buddy's mom ended up driving us, and she, <laughs> but then she left. I don't know. She, she drives us to this big 40,000-seat arena and is like, enjoy. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I saw, it was uh, Mr. Big opened up for Rush, and uh, this was, I guess it was a Presto tour, so it was like late 80s. I'm just kind of sitting there thinking, this is kind of, what, what the hell's going on? I'm, my parents, it, we just they would kill this lady if they knew that she just <laughs> dropped us off at this enormous arena with 40,000 <laughs> strangers, and just said, I'll pick you up in a few hours. Where? I don't know. Where, where are you going to be? I don't know. <laughs> We'll find you. And this is obviously before mobile phones as yes. well. Yes. Yeah, this is like, <laughs> like, this is, I think, 88 or 89. Oh, my gosh, I, I can't believe it. So, And same thing, that's, we're coming into starting to see the opening acts. And like, oh, these guys are pretty good. I wonder if, when they're going to be touring or, and so that kind of opened me up to, in a similar fashion to the way it opened you up. Uh, though I was a little, a couple of years later than you. You're doing it at 14. Yeah, I had to I wait till 16. And I think also it was that I didn't, when I look back on it, I don't think I really differentiated between, because it was just all stuff in the charts, I didn't really differentiate between, say, something like Culture Club or, or like I say, Haircut 100. Right. And Teardrop Explodes and Echo and the Bunnymen, who were playing really big venues as well, and they were in the charts as well. But, of course, going to a gig like that or even The Fall, you know, oh, wow, I think yeah. that was was the first gig I went to on my own and that was at the Lyceum and I was kind of terrified none of my mates would go with me oh my gosh but you know so all I'm saying is I didn't I didn't really know the difference between like the fall or the simple minds or so all these bands were just in the charts and you would go okay I'm gonna go and see them okay but it would each of those support acts would leave you lead you down quite different paths actually oh, and absolutely. I think it, what was quite nice about that is that we were you know when all four of us in this little group of friends were going to see bands. We didn't really, you know, we didn't really have any snobbery about it. So, and that even carried through to when we'd actually then start to go to like lots and lots and lots of gigs, like five gigs a week, you know, yeah. in little pubs around London. And at the time it was quite factional, you know, people who saw kind of anarcho-punk bands 
only saw Anico punk bands and slagged off everything else. And people who saw kind of, you know, indie bands were very separate from the band, people who went to see psychobilly bands oh, or, wow. yeah. you know, punk bands. And, and actually we would go to all of them. So I would literally be seeing like the Smiths and the Sisters of Mercy and you know, I don't know, the Guana Bats or yeah. something. Or oh, my gosh, I forgot about those guys. Or, <laughs> 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 you know I mean? Yeah. So just anything. We were like, oh, yeah, we'll go and see them. And what, is there anything on Thursday? We want to go to a gig and we just, just go. That's awesome. That's I, but my best one of my best friends, this guy named Ed. We would do the similar because we we had a lot of intersecting interests musically. But there were some things that he would listen to that I was just not like. I was never big into punk, but he loved punk, and I was more into the psychedelic stuff. And that wasn't really his gig. But we all we had intersecting paths. So we, would, hey, I want to go see this band. Okay, but when these guys come around, you're coming with me to go see these guys. And so that's 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 another way I got exposure into bands that I'd didn't really think I would like and ended up liking like mud honey stuff like that so but and don't you think that it also see I I can remember struggling with certain bands but it was always I I didn't really dismiss bands as shit I always thought well it's my I'm not seeing everybody here is obviously thinking this is great so I just need to make a bit more effort yeah yeah exactly and me with punk specific you know particularly anything punk because I had this notion because everything I knew about punk was like the Ramones and so I was I would go to my these these shows with my buddy I'm like everybody's digging these songs are really short there's like no guitar solos everybody's yelling and it's really shouty. I don't know what the hell's going on. Why aren't I liking this? <laughs> What's wrong with me? Why, is, why am I not getting this? <laughs> so It's funny, actually, because I was just literally yesterday on Twitter, this guy kind of messaged me and he used to write a fanzine and me and Emma wrote a fanzine. This was part of our early foray into the music scene. Yeah, so I want to hear about this. One. We were really young, you know, we were only about sort of 15, 16 okay. and too shy to speak to anyone. So, and there was a really big thriving fanzine scene. So we decided, well, why don't we write a fanzine? And that way that kind of, it's a bit of an icebreaker and we could get to know people. And yeah. um, so anyway, this guy got in touch and funny enough, he said, oh yeah, do you remember me? I, I came down from Norwich because he wrote a fanzine and he said, I, we went to see the Ramones together. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and that was 1985. And I was going, oh my God. <laughs> that's oh, a funny coincidence. <laughs> that's wild. Oh man. See, Ramones are bringing everybody together again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, similarly, yeah. I, my buddy Ed, who was a huge David Bowie fan, and I was in and out of Bowie. You know, I, was, I, I liked some things, I didn't like everything. But my buddy Ed was, he loved everything Bowie. So when he hooked up with Nine Inch Nails, I wasn't a Nine Inch Nails fan either, but I, I kind of liked the um, uh, outside, the David Bowie outside album. Like, all right, I'll, we'll give it a shot. And we went and saw him, David Bowie live in a little tiny club in uh, New York. And it was one of the coolest experiences ever. It was just a, an amazing wow. show. And it kind of turned me uh, not into a Nine Inch Nails fan because it was basically Nine Inch Bowie. You know, it was, it was the touring <laughs> Nine Inch Nails band with David Bowie fronting. But I got more of appreciation for the music because I got a chance to find to hear it live and, and you know, it sounded a little bit different and and 
more powerful to me live than it was on on the album. Wow, that's remarkable. Yeah, so, yeah. It, it was a hell of a show too. I mean, it was a little tiny club, and they had all that. The it was the tour where uh, I'm trying to. I think I don't think it was the uh, outside tour. I think because he did two with them. He did that one um, American or I'm Afraid of Americans. That whole era. So he did two, and I don't remember if it was the first or second album he did. But it was crazy because in a little tiny club, they've got this big stage presence. They've got this wrapped up uh, mannequins hanging from the ceiling. I'm like, how do you do this in this little tiny place? You got, uh, you know, a a normal band come in and they're not going to be able to do that. But David Bowie's got this amazing stage presence in this little club. So it was awesome. So you started off doing this fanzine that you brought it up. So how long had you known Emma before you started doing this fanzine? Um, Emma came to the school I was at, um, I think we were about 14, 13 or 14. And yeah, so I think, you know, it was a a kind of, it was a private school in London. I mean, I'd been to about six or seven bloody schools by then because oh, my wow. parents were divorced and I'd lived with my mum for a while in Windsor and then I came back and then she moved to America. So then I was living with my dad. I went to, you know, uh, so many different schools. So anyway, I ended up at Queen's College, which is a private girls' school okay. in London, which my mum funded um, from her sort of, you know, American life. <laughs> <laughs> but it was... And, it, you know, I don't want to slag it off because, you know, school is school and it every school is full of, like, hardworking people who want to do their best. But the one thing was that, you know, I, you know, it's not like I was, you know, poor, poor. I wasn't living on a council estate or anything like that. But I was in with, you know, me, Emma, all of the girls that we were friends with were sort of not, on that level of wealth that most of the girls were. And it does sort of bond you together a bit when you're from a a sort of middle class, but your parents are sort of, you know, basically making a big sacrifice by spending a lot of money to send you to a certain school. But you can't keep up in any other way. You know, these girls were going to like balls and they were going skiing in the spring and... You know, their lifestyles were so utterly different that part of, I think, our little group of girls banding together was actually an acknowledgement that there's absolutely no way we can keep up with these people. We have to find a separate identity. And that separate identity was there was no uniform at the school. So, you know... Again, couldn't keep up. These girls were going shopping in South Martin Street, which, yeah. if you don't know, is like a really fancy sort of, you know, okay. boutique sort of place. So, of course, you know, actually then we were turning up with our clothes from the secondhand shops and the Army and Navy store and and home haircuts and funky yep. this. And, do you know what I mean? Because actually then we could have an identity that wasn't, you know, just less than you know what was surrounding us it was our you know well we've got this and that's what I think got us really into music because again we we weren't invited to those parties we weren't welcome in those scenes because we were seen as like you know common or whatever right yeah we but we were very lucky that we had each other because I think going to gigs at that very young age I'm not sure that I would have had the courage to do it on my own so it was really good to have like a bunch of girls to go with oh yeah and you know and, and safety I in numbers I really liked, 
Well, totally. But what I really liked about um, gig culture, separate, as opposed to like club culture, was that it was, you know, you pay money, you go in and people are actually, people were really nice. You know, there's a sort of camaraderie. Everybody's there to see the same band. Yeah. You know, when people are dancing, if someone falls over, everybody picks them up. Whereas when I went to clubs, you know, the few times I went with someone who would take me, I just found it very judgmental, people looking you up and down, uh. you know, a bit of a meat market, you know. So I think that my avenue into being in a band was actually being involved in that gig culture and the whole community around it. Okay. The fanzines, the politics going on CND marches and supporting the miners' strike and everything, everything came out of that world of being in a sort of community of people okay. who were into live music and a counterculture. Right, okay. So at what point did you go from enjoying the the gig culture to wanting to be part of the gig culture and starting a band? I think because you get to a certain level where you realise that the people getting on stage, bless them, right, but when they're third on the bill supporting, I don't know, the surfing lung or something, yeah. in, you know, <laughs> in some pokey little pub in East London, yeah. you sort of realise that there are people getting up who have barely managed to even rehearse, you know. They're just having a bit of a laugh. Yeah. And it's sort of chaotic, but it's fun. Yeah. And you sort of think, well, fucking hell, I think I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I always think it's quite interesting when people interview musicians about, you know, what inspired them to join a band or actually perform themselves. You know, my thing is, is I, yes, I love the Teardrop Explosion. Yes, I love Blondie. Yes, I loved all these bands, but not in a million years did I think I could do what they do. Right. Whereas seeing sort of crappy little bands have a go yes. in some <laughs> shitty little pub, <laughs> that's the thing that made you think, oh, okay. I, I could do that. <laughs> that's awesome. That's so great. I love that. See, and that, that's a totally perfect, beautifully honest answer too. All right. So how did you meet everybody else in the band? How did, how did the, did you guys gel? Was it at college or was it from gig going to the gigs uh, of other bands? How did y'all meet? Well, I think so initially Emma joined a band called the Rover Girls and then I joined a band called The Bugs and we were both playing bass. And these were these sort of little bands that were on the scene. But I think, you know, Emma in particular, I think, really wanted to write her own music. So we started to sort of write together. We didn't know what the fuck we were doing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was, you know, I can remember sort of playing the guitar and she had her bass plugged into the stereo and we were just trying to make anything <laughs> even sound vaguely like a piece of music. And I think we realised that we cannot just jam. It, we don't have the ability. So we would go away, write the parts, learn them and then sort of come back together and that worked better. Ah, okay. Then I started, at, um, then when I went to North London Poly to do a degree, I met Chris and Steve and Mariel, who was the first singer we had. She was singing originally. And we, yeah, we, so we were just at college together. And I didn't, yeah, I knew that Chris could play the drums. Yeah. But 
I knew Steve played guitar, but it it was just the sort of like, do you want to join a band? Yeah, okay, right. <laughs> just okay, right. We're going to go for it. Brilliant. And I think we did. You know, I mean, we did a bunch of rehearsals. We had about five or six songs, and then we just started supporting bands in pubs. And wow. I'm sure we were absolutely fucking appalling. But <laughs> we were having quite a nice time and it was fun to be a part of you know a scene and I think you know bands like I mean you know my bloody valentine were I mean they were well established because they were actually a garage band before that and then when Dave the singer left that's when they started you know to become the my bloody valentine that everybody thinks of yeah but um Emma was actually going out with Kevin at the time oh really so um yeah, wow. and I think actually maybe she'd split up with him by the time we supported them. But you know they were still friends, and anyway, so there yeah. was all this scene, and so we would, you know, and and Emma had also ah oh, that was it because she'd worked um, at a label, I think. Anyway, I'm I'm getting my sort of timelines confused, but because there was this scene and everybody was knew each other, it wasn't that difficult to get a support slot. You know, London had okay. so many different venues so many small places to play and quite often you know people would want like a, a second support and you could just rock up and go like well we'll do it you know oh, cool. we'll do it for 20 quid you know right. what i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah now and, the sound that you guys had what was incredibly dense and 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 but it, it, it's it's to me, it's dense, but it's so it's it's light, and I think that's part of the, the maybe the vocals and the the effects on the guitar. It's just is that the sound that you guys wanted from the beginning? Is that the sound you were looking to get, or because I've heard you say that you guys weren't real confident in your playing abilities? Was it a, a matter of just trying to to hide uh, mistakes, or is it a combination of that's the sound we want, and luckily, you know, it hides you know any mistakes that we can make. Um, it's probably a combination. <laughs> I think because the time we were playing, there was this sort of, um, you know, like I say, the Valentines and um, I don't know, things like the Heartthrobs. And I just remember supporting quite a few bands that had that quite jangly, melodic there was a certain fragility to some of what a lot of bands were doing. I mean, yeah. then again, we were playing with bands like Silverfish as well, who were just, you know, noise fest and, yeah. and you know, we played with Snuff, who are a punk band, you know what I mean? Oh, wow. So there was quite a lot of crossover. So I think all of those little influences came in. But ultimately, yes, we weren't great. Chris was actually a great drummer. He was the best musician in the band, for sure. Yeah. And the rest of us were sort of catching up with him. And I think, you know, a distortion pedal hides many sins, you know, so... Yeah. I think when I think of the Valentines, that or those bands, you know, that use of pedals was like, great, great. I'm, I'm going to get a chorus. I'm going to get a delay. I'm going to get a distortion. That's going to be masked. <laughs> All the floppy chord changes that I'm not doing properly. And so, but, you know, there was a lot of enthusiasm. And, and I think what was interesting was, you know, also that you're kind of learning on the job. You know, there's absolutely no way that any of us, like I said, apart from Chris, were kind of virtuosos uh, at, at whatever instrument we were playing. We were just constantly playing catch up while we were playing gigs or writing oh, songs, wow. you know. Okay. And 
I was, I remember I was going out with this guy, Johnny, who was in a band called Purple Things, actually, the quite sort of punky psychedelic band. And Emma and, you know, I would ask him, I'd go like, okay, so what's this chord? And I'd put like one finger on a string and he'd be like, right, well, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) (laughs) You're playing around it. (laughs) And so it was that sort of like, well, it sounds quite good. So I'm just going to use that. Or if I'd go from an E to an E minor and he goes, that mm, that sort of bit tricky in the same bit, and I was like, I know, but it sounds fine. Right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> hey. that was quite liberating. Yeah, but you know, some of the weird chord changes and the weird, you know, melody that sort of slightly jars against the guitar part is because we didn't really know what we were doing. Well, we, that kind of no gives you rules. freedom. Absolutely, I'm just like, well, it sounds right. Yeah, you know. Um, and I've always had that, you know, I've had that from people who are professional musicians who like Clash, yeah. but will go fucking hell, you know, I, I just couldn't <laughs> have put those chords because it's not right. It's, it's but, you know, if you know about music yeah, but, and you've learned it properly, you would not put that with that note. Right. But that's that's what makes some of the, the my favorite music what it is, makes it my favorite music is because it's different than what what somebody who's you know spent their entire life studying theory would do so it's mm. you know it, it makes it unique and it makes it something i haven't heard before yes and i think it's just making i mean if i'm honest it's making virtue out of necessity because obviously it's far better to be able to play really well you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I think given our limited kind of <laughs> ability i think we we kind of did at least we sort of use that to some sort of good advantage, I suppose. You know, we were, our, our, our sort of ideas were always way beyond our ability, I have to say. But in a way that was quite, you know, it, it was good to be pushing against that, I think. And it made it more interesting. You know, you are sitting there thinking, oh, bloody hell, I must, I'm really tired. These, I only know like these six chords, so I'm just going to start making some up because I, yeah. I'm <laughs> That's awesome. And that, so... You guys are touring and, and you put out some EPs at that point. You're playing, you're playing club. You're not really touring. You're, you're touring London. But so <laughs> you're playing these gigs. You put out a few EPs. And the next thing you know, as far as I can tell, I mean, you get approached to uh, do an album and then you're on the Lollapalooza tour in 92. Yes, well, that's quite a concise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm kind of narrowing it down a little bit, you know, just compacting the whole thing. Compacting yeah. like four years into like one sentence. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think, our, you know, signing to 4AD was a big leap forward for us, I think. Again, that's sort of, you know, just being immersed in an experience where you're sort of slightly you know, not, you know, you're sort of struggling to catch up. So working mm-hmm. with Robin Guthrie, working with Tim Freeze Green, being given all these brilliant opportunities because you're on a label like 4AD, you know, and a, yeah. a label that actually really cares about your music, not your necessarily your image, which at the time I think with a band with two girls, it could have easily gone very awry if we'd have signed to a different kind of label. Yeah. Um, 
but you know 4AZ was an incredibly nurturing environment and um so by the time I think we went on Lollapalooza and even that was a sort of we were sort of it was really Perry Farrell who liked the band and our manager who got all matey with him and then basically <laughs> we ended up on this tour where we were like what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. This is insane. That, <laughs> that that was the first time I ever heard Lush. I went to uh, I was at the uh, show at Montage Mountain in Pennsylvania, and I you know I I can only imagine that you remember bits and pieces of that tour. You know, venue you know, one venue from the next. It probably they look a lot alike, but for me it was amazing because the stage was at the bottom of a ski slope, and then all the people would just kind of sit and put blankets up the ski slope and we just kind of watch you guys play from the ski slope. And <laughs> we get there and uh, me and, and a bunch of my buddies, we all went and I think, I, I think we may have missed one song. We got there and, and there's you and your bright red hair running around the stage playing. And I'm like, what is this sound? This is like this swirly. This is amazing. And so after the show, I mean, and, and you're on the bill with Pearl Jam, who's, who's just starting to break, you know, but Jeremy, I guess, had just come out. They're, they're, they're breaking Soundgarden is fairly established. Uh, Ice Tea, Ministry, Red Hot Chili Peppers. And to be honest, I don't know how you did it. I don't know if you got a chance to watch many of the bands after, but being an outdoor concert, Ministry was the loudest fucking band I've ever heard i was outside on a ski slope and i had to hold my ears and i never held my ears in an indoor concert and i had to hold my ears <laughs> for ministry because it was so loud it was insane it was astonishing yeah but i mean they I, I they were amazing you know i didn't really know about most of the bands that we that were on that tour before wow. we went on that tour i mean the jesus and mary chain that's right, right yeah the jesus and mary chain too yeah so i knew them right but and what was remarkable was, and what really works for us, was when Pearl Jam were originally booked on the tour, it, it was, as you say, before they became absolutely massive. And yes. during, before the tour actually started, between when they were booked and when the tour actually started, they just became huge. Yeah, they exploded. But they were like, no, we're still going to go on second. That's awesome. Right? So they actually, you know, they were offered, look, you need to be way further up the bill. And they were like, no, you know, this is where we agreed to go. This is where we're going to go, which was fucking great for us because loads of people turned up early. Yeah. You know, because they wanted to get their fee and everything for Pearl Jam. So we actually coattailed on that, which was brilliant. It was, it was a bit tough was. for the Mary Chain. I think yeah. we went on after them. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that, but yeah, and it's and it's funny because uh, I was I loved Mother Love Bone, and when uh, that album came out, and and before Pearl Jam came out, I was keeping. I loved the sound of the guitars so much, and they had a big swirly sound on a bunch of their songs, and so that that's really what got me into that that sound. So I found out about Pearl Jam and went out and bought the album, saw. Went to go see Lollapalooza and heard that same swirly sound that I love with you guys. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So the next day I went out and, and bought Spooky. So it was, I, and I was just hooked ever since. That was just, that's how I got introduced to you guys. Yeah, I mean, it, it was such a great tour because, um, again, I think because it was only the second ever Lollapalooza. Yeah. 
it was you know it was actually quite um sort of it was before it became all sort of you know various oh you can only go here if you've got this wristband or you know like festivals yeah. now are just so fucking complicated you can't bring your drink in here and you can't take your water in there and it's like it was just a bit of a free-for-all yeah and all the bands were in the same area they were all staying at the same hotel it was absolutely mental you know ministry were like i'm fucking out <laughs> out say. of control you know but in a really good way like he just made you know and everyone was sort of mixed in with each other and and, and it was just like a real again it was kind of this sort of traveling service community yeah and although yes everyone had their separate buses we would have you know someone from pearl jam would get a ride with us someday and someone else <laughs> would want to hang out longer at some gig so then we'd go on a tour bus with ministry and you know so it was all really mixed up and everyone was really friendly and the crews were friendly and everybody felt like a, it wasn't competitive it, i certainly didn't feel that i was like yeah. wow this is amazing I mean, the thing it did open my eyes to was this whole other level of, you know, what big bands get to experience, like, which was genuinely frightening for <laughs> me because that that sort of groupy culture, ah, right? Okay. When you're in some piddly little band in London, even when you're playing like a decent-sized venue in London – that just wasn't part of that indie world, right? Oh, okay. So we're going to these venues. I can remember arriving at this venue where this woman was chatting to one of the crew and she just had a thong on with a Bon Jovi backstage pass tattooed on her bum cheek. Oh, my God. Right? And, you know, every time, like, after Pearl Jam played, I remember there'd be this sort of wodge of women you know offering blowjobs to like crew members just to get back and meet eddie vedder and oh my God. you know all of that kind of i don't know it was all that part of it you know i think cues you know sort of having to move hotel rooms because there'd be and i'm not going to name names but you know <laughs> a bag with like a fucking line of women outside that they were letting in three at a time and then Oh God! And I just thought, oh, this side of it, uh, you know, it was almost the sort of, yeah, it was <laughs> the dark side. I'm gonna kind of switch off from yeah, that side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, did that change anything for you? This touring like that, did it change how you played? Did it change any your writing? Because the, the songs, as the albums came out, the songs got less psychedelic and and less shoegazy. And, and a little more straightforward uh, rock. Uh, was it the building of confidence or was it just you just changing the sound? Um, and did you pay more attention to your gear at that point? Because I remember you were saying in an old interview that I had watched doing my research that you didn't really pay attention to your gear all that much when you guys were starting out. So did touring change songs, songwriting, uh, your sound, your gear, anything like that? Um. I mean, to be honest, I don't think that we were ever a, a band that um, <laughs> moves. Oh, lovely. He can see you. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Who's in his <laughs> Jalaba? Well, that's wearing a, your, this hangover wear. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. I love Moose. <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. 
got a moose cameo. <laughs> Oh God! Sorry, what was I answering? Um, I don't know. Let's see. Yeah, we guess we were just talking about how things changed after that first tour in, in, in a year. Oh, the gear, the gear, the gear, and the and the writing and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think, I mean, I'll be honest. Um, most of the sort of ideas for getting gear and equipment um, came from our sound man who had worked with us from quite early on. Like Pete was a real tech head, and um, he, I don't, I, you know, I'm not someone who likes to sit around in guitar shops, like trying stuff out because probably because it's actually quite intimidating. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think now it's actually, now it's actually much nicer. People are nicer now. Oh, really? Like, I haven't, I haven't done women that in, in years. Yeah. Like the women in, or, or certainly in the places I've been to, maybe because I look like an old lady, I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> they're just humoring me. But, but, you know, I, I think, you know, back then it really was like eye roll and sneer and like, you know, and you just think, oh, I can't go through this. So, yeah. you know, actually trying out equipment and things like that was just a bit too daunting. So I I still use the same pedals I used pretty much from the start. Actually. Oh, wow. You know, Emma was the one who had all the sort of experimental stuff because often she had to recreate you know, what we'd done in the studio. And a lot of the swirly-whirly sound was actually from the producers that we worked with. So we worked with Robin Guthrie yeah. or, you know, we worked with Tim Freeze-Green or, you know, any of these people. And sometimes people would sort of say, oh, you know, Robin's just put all the Cocteau Twins kind of stuff all over their music and he swamped their sound. But I still stand by the fact that, you know, the reason you work with someone like Robin Guthrie is because that is what he is going to do, yeah. you know, and I liked going in the studio with producers who would, you know, have these interesting ideas about sounds, you know, I'm not precious about that. Right, right. And it, it, you know, it did work really, really well for us. I think what happened was, you're right, that post uh, Lollapalooza, we actually thought, you know, we have actually got a lot better as a live band. We have played and played and played. We have done so many gigs. Yeah. And when I did vocals, on Spooky, for instance. I mean, poor old Robin was so patient. because <laughs> I would be singing like, you know, like just so daunted at having yeah. to do this. Well, I uh, can imagine. I mean, it, you know, it's your first full-length album and you've got Robin Guthrie behind the glass. You know, that, that's right. that's pretty intimidating. He's working with Liz Fraser. Yeah. Right? So no fucking pressure at yeah. all there. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I can, ima- I can only imagine, you know, as a kid in your early 20 late, late you know late teens early 20s working with you know a guy who's made such an enormous name for himself in the industry and, and produced probably the, you know some of the your favorite albums at the time it gets a little intimidating yeah and you know I mean, to be honest the very first ep we did with john fryer was you know he didn't you know he he was just a really good person for our first thing he just was trying to coax out what we were doing you know yeah. so anyway the point being that you know we worked with these different producers like mike hedges all of these people who brought their own stamp to what we did and i think after laura Pelosi, we did just think well why don't let's just actually think what we sound like you know when we're just playing you know it not so we don't need to bring this whole different layer to it we're just going to play as we play
And so we, it was actually our sound man, Pete, who produced that record. Right, yeah, And yeah. it was much more straightforward. I mean, it was really good fun. It was really, you know, we got mates in or oh, let's put this on here and running around like trying stupid instruments, like me playing the recorder, which I haven't played since I was at school and just, you know, having fun with it. Yeah. But yes, a lot more confident. I mean, I, I don't think, personally, I don't think that the actual way that the songs were written was that different. You know, I think when you okay. even go back to Spooky, I think that there are songs on there that are you know, whooshy and layered and all of that. But I think there are songs that, you know, in their genesis aren't that different to say something like Lady Killers, you know, that they are quite straightforward, punchy, you know, pop punk kind of songs. It's just that the treatment was very different on them. Right, and, right. you know, I think a song like, you know, uh, I'm trying to think what else is on, uh, on Love well, Line. Well, if you take like... Um... If you take some of the swirliness out of something like Super Blast, I could see it just totally on on that on Love Life. Exactly, exactly. I mean, the things that were a bit different. I think something like Chow, which I did with you know Jarvis Cocker yeah. singing on that. I mean, I do actually remember Ivo who ran for AD, sort of slightly sitting there with his head in his hands, thinking, <laughs> "I cannot believe that this is going to come out for AD." But <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so. And then you did one little a one-off thing called The Lilies. Oh, yes. What was that about? Because I don't know a whole lot about soccer. And I believe <laughs> it's about, it's about uh, or, well, football. that all come about um, and who's on that because we were in the studio with um robin and so you know i mean yes all right i used to go and see tottenham hotspur play i was a Spurs supporter but i always feel a bit kind of phony saying that because i really only went along because chris was a Spurs support. I mean, I had a great time there, but I was, I'm not of the calibre of football fans that you get here. Like, Moose is a Spurs support, right? That's how we used to go um, matches together back then. But when you get Moose and, you know, talking about football, he will remember goals that were scored, you know, eight fucking years ago. And, you know, who took the corner at some bloody final? Or I've got no idea. I just sort of nod and smile. You know, I'm there to sing the songs yeah. and, you know, shout and cheer and that's it. Okay. But Simon Raymond in the Cocteau Twins, who now, you know, is running Bella Union, which is the right. label we're actually signed to. He's a massive Spurs supporter, right? Okay. I mean, honestly, when you used to get him and Chris, Moose, Russell, who was the singer in Moose, this little load of us that would all, you know, were into Spurs. I mean, listening to the four of them, like, fucking hell, you know, I'd be like, but we just fucking talk about something else for five minutes, all right? <laughs> but so it was really uh, Simon's idea because there was this, um, uh, see, I should get bloody moose up. He knows the bloody details, all right? Oh, man. Because I'm going to get it all wrong now, right? But there was a, <laughs> a, a match where 
you know, Spurs beat Arsenal, their North London rivals. And, you know, it was a big fucking deal. And, you know, being football fans, they always have to rub each other's noses in any triumph or defeat or whatever. So anyway, Simon's idea to make this, let's do this little flexi disc for this fanzine that was the Spurs fanzine. And so it was just a real, it was an afternoon, you know, he'd written some music. I came in and ad-libbed some vocals, you know, Chris played the drums Moose played uh, guitar on it, you know. Russell was involved. So anyway, it was it was kind of we just did this little record together, and it went out. And um, it's it really was, cool. Uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then uh, you know, tragically, you know, Chris took his own life, and then that ended lush. And yes. you did you drop completely out of music at that point? Um, and you went on to do some to work for uh, some magazines. Was music completely out of the question at that point? Uh, yeah. Because I think, you know, to be fair, I think also after the last album uh, and the touring of it, um, you know, there were quite a lot of problems in the band and, you know, people started to fall out a bit. And it was a bit, it was just, it was kind of getting more and more, you know, I don't know, not much fun, you know, quite stressful. And I think when Chris committed suicide that was like okay that is it I'm out you know I can't it it was I just there was nothing in me that wanted to be in Lush or any band without him being there and I just drew a line under all of that and you know I didn't want to you know it's funny because I think when you know when I first I you know I got into magazines by doing a you know, I got introduced to someone who kind of mentored me a bit and said, oh, you know, you should go into publishing, quite good. <clears throat> and lots of people were saying, oh, well, you know, if you're going to be a sub, you know, you should contact the NME and you should work for like music magazines because you know that's the world that you know. And I just yeah. thought, I oh, know, I just don't want to be anywhere around any of it. You know, I didn't really go to gigs. I stopped all of that. Wow. And um, I just drew a line under it. And it was the right thing to do really you know yeah. it sometimes this yeah you know there's just a line and it's, it's, it's i'm done so yeah. you didn't have anything to do with music at all until the lush reunion and how did how did that happen who contacted who to get that ball rolling um well i think um sort of again my timeline's always a bit out i know that phil was in the mary chain and I think they were touring regularly and I, I I think it came through that that someone suggested that, you know, there were certain bands that were getting back together and they were, you know, they were doing quite well out of it and there seemed to be... A, you see, I wasn't even on social media, right? So just okay. to point that out because when I drew a line under it, I really drew a line under it. And wow. to be honest, even, even, you know, any venture online, I would get people who were like lush fans i mean i even got it at work sometimes people would find out like my work email oh wow and suddenly i'd get these emails and sometimes it was very nice you know oh my god did you used to be in lush thank you very much goodbye other people were like really fucking persistent right and start you know demanding and sending you their problem fucking hell you know what i mean and it was a bit freaky so i didn't want to go online i didn't want to deal with any of that that makes Um, sense and but you know what was interesting is I didn't really know. I just thought, well, that was such a long time ago, and I wasn't even going to remember. And it was Emma 
you know, I think we'd be surprised that a lot of people still really love the band. There's a whole new kind of birth of sort of shoegaze bands, you know, yeah. all these bands who are referencing us. And, you know, there's a lot of love out there. And I was like, oh, OK. So I think the idea of getting back together was, you know, muted occasionally, but it was never the right time. You know, my kids were still really small. Um, it was it would have been such a big thing for me to, you know, I hadn't played any music, you know, to get back into that, the idea of going on tour and leaving the children. And yeah. so, you know, it was, it was, it never quite worked out until that, that last time. And Emma basically met this guy who was, you know, interested in managing us and, and helping put all that together. So yeah, cause in the- I just sort of, in in the meantime, you know, you and Moose had started a family, so you had you had kids exactly. to, to consider at that point. It's not like, yeah, let's just jump on a bus and we'll just go. You can't exactly. do that. Anymore. And I had a full time job. Yeah. You know, oh yeah, that, that too. Job and you know, and I'm raising a family, and I have to pay for shit. You know what yeah. I mean? I've got a mortgage, and I've got you know bills to pay. I can't just like buck off on tour. Yeah. Just to have a great time, you know. <laughs> um, so it was, it was. Yeah, it was a big thing. But I think when it kind of finally came together in 2016, I did sort of think, okay, right, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it, right? Yeah. And, you know, and I, I kind of, you know, did all the work. And it was really daunting because, you know, one of the first things that happened was, you know, we recorded Out of Control EP... I remember being in the studio with Emma mixing when um, we announced the Roundhouse shows, which were, the, to be honest, the biggest shows we played, bigger than anything we'd done in Lush in, in Britain. Oh, really? You know, yeah. Wow. Two nights at the fucking Roundhouse. Like, we've never done that in Britain. <laughs> so it was like a really, you know, and I do remember this sort of feeling of like, oh, shit, <laughs> right now. <laughs> Now it's too late to back out. Fuck. <laughs> and I just, I had like three months of, you know, waking up at three o'clock in the morning and I kind of, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to do that. You know, so it was quite, it was stressful, but exciting. And, you know, and ultimately it was a really great experience to play again. I mean, it was brilliant. And it was lovely for my kids to see, you know, that, this was part of my life once and yeah. actually loads of people that had become friends in the interim, you know, like people I knew from the school, people I knew from work <laughs> who had no real, cause I don't really talk about that. All those people that were sending you those emails they showed up. Yes. Well, <laughs> really but you know, it was, it was interesting for people that had never seen me in, in that capacity. You know, they'd known me for 20 years yeah. as, you know, Mickey who, drops their kids off at school yes. or Mickey who is a sub and suddenly turn up at the roundhouse and they're like, fucking hell, this is quite impressive. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on? This is crazy. And the music on the, on the Blind Spot EP is great. Was that all new music or was any of that uh, leftovers from way back when? No. So the music, for, so the Out of Control EP, like I think the, the main song Emma had 
because she'd been sort of dipped into, you know, she'd been in a band called Sing Sing. I think she had been thinking about writing music possibly for, you know, in some capacity, whether for other people or for, you know, film. You know, she certainly kept her hand in. Yeah. So I think Out of Control was a song that she had that she'd, you know, kind of had worked on. Okay. And then the others were sort of ideas. So she had the sort of music and then I put the lyrics together. And then it was, yeah, it was just a really collaborative sort of affair. I think we had, you know, uh, Daniel Hunt, who's in Lady Tron. You know, Emma had met him through, I think, work that she'd done. So he was sort of involved in, you know, doing some of the music and the production. And Jim Abbas was producing it. So, yeah, it was... It was nice, and then and then you know Justin did the drums because Justin was only going to be involved in the live stuff, but he actually then, you know. Oh, great! Yeah. And, so and playing again, getting is that what lit the fire for the new band Peroshka? Yes, I mean I think you know basically the touring that we did. Um, I mean, I have to tread a bit carefully here because yes. it didn't end very well. <laughs> um, it all sort of, you know, exploded a bit. And I think I think it was possibly more stressful and, um, you know, than, than maybe I think Emma and Phil imagined that it would be. Um, I think they... I don't want to put words into their mouth, so I'm right. just going to skim over it and sure. just say that my personal experience was was that, yes, it was stressful. There were things that were immensely hard work. You know, we really had a lot to deal with. But playing live and playing music again was just a total revelation to me because I think I'd spent 20 years, you know, telling myself I'd done the right thing, which I had. But I do remember sort of rehearsing for the shows and thinking, you know, fuck, you know, I'm going to be in the studio all day, you know, I've got the kids, I've got this, that and the other. But I suddenly realised, like, you know, I'd be sort of half an hour into the rehearsal and thinking, like, oh, I'm exhausted, but actually thinking, this is actually really good fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is really great That's being awesome. in a room playing music with people. This is not work, actually. <laughs> I think I'm in a really good mood. And and I just I really did enjoy it. So I think when it kind of fell apart with the Lush thing, Justin was into, you know, he was saying, oh, you should do a solo thing or blah, blah. I said, I'm not a solo person. It is not my <laughs> vibe at all. Um, but I thought it would be nice to do something. And really having no ambitions at all. We knew I mean, I think when Lush split up, there was a lot of people who said, oh, if you've got any idea what you're throwing away, you should keep at it. But, you know, it just wasn't, on a personal level, it wasn't going to work. So I was yeah. well aware. I didn't think I'm going to start this other band and we're going to be, you know, headlining fucking festivals or anything. <laughs> yeah. before. I knew it was going to be, right, this is this is whoosh right back down yeah. to the bottom. <laughs> but it was genuinely because I just thought, well, it was just really fun. That's the bit that yeah. I liked was making music and playing it and having the camaraderie of a band and and so hey you know yeah <laughs> and last well, chance as well really. yeah and then I mean, you've got some great guys you know you've got moose in the band <laughs> you, know. you know that that's awesome uh Mick Conroy, the, the bassist for Modern English, and uh, and justin welch from elastica and and, and you know the lush reunion and it's so it's a 
you know, it's a different group of people. So it's going to be a com- completely different energy with it too. And it's quite nice just exploring that. You know, it is, you know, when we started doing the Poroshka stuff, we did not tell anyone Right. It wasn't a kind of, you know, oh, Lush is over, but hey, everyone, welcome to social media. You know, yeah. I'm going to do a new band and this is what we're going to do. Say a fucking word. All right. <laughs> I think about five people knew that we were doing anything at all. It was a total oh, wow. secret. And part of it was because I just didn't want people all over it, either out of, you know, in a positive way and high expectations or in a kind of like, sneering sort of like oh well well let's see what this is like you know right um yeah because you got you've got a bunch of people it's it's only it's kind of like a, a super group with the uh, the bands you guys are all related to i've heard written i've seen it written super group so i know <laughs> and, I, and the funny thing is is like that was the first you know as soon as we you know said that we were going to be a band this was the tag that was put on us yeah you know, in a, obviously that's very flattering, you know, like blah, blah, blah. But what was interesting was almost immediately, even before we'd even put a song out, there was already a backlash over that, you oh, know, geez. a kind of like, oh, my God, it's pathetic. These bands who are part of it and they think if they get four individual members, it's going to be like, you know, all the strengths of all those bands. We were already getting like slagged off. Have we only fucking heard us yet? Oh, God. <laughs> and it's not like... Like I sat here going, hmm, who do I know who's in a band that could like raise the profile of what I'm yeah. doing? You know, it was literally <laughs> because I am, you know, me and Moose are a couple, and Nick played at the last Lush show, and Justin had toured with us. It was literally what was around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at that specific moment. So, but anyway, it was just really nice to sort of write music together and just have our little enthusiastic kind of back and forth without any expectations on it, without even knowing whether we were going to put anything out, you yeah. know? And, um, well, that's, that that's, was, uh, it sounds like it was a completely different approach from Lush where you were writing songs and Emma was writing songs and you would bring them in and you'd have to learn each other's songs. Is, is it more of a collaborative effort in writing for Poroshka? It is. It's much more collaborative. And I'm not knocking the way that me and Emma did it because right, I think right. that worked, you know, brilliantly for us. Yeah. I think it became a little bit restricted. I mean, it had its own problems. You know, nothing is ideal. But I think it's, it's just that it's different for me. So it's quite nice for me to be able to just be able to write a vocal line and not have to think about how the bass line is going to work or, or you know, have to work out a drum pattern, you know, that you've yeah. actually got. I mean, Mick is, in, you know, Justin Mick, they're both phenomenal musicians, yeah. you know. I mean, I have to say that the, the fact that I can just write a song and Mick comes out with some frankly amazing bass lines where I think, okay, I just, there's no way I could have written that. So I'm, you know... And then it puts a completely different cast on the song. So, of course, there's, you know, there's no getting away. I will write songs that sound like Lush because that's the only fucking way I know how to write yeah. songs. But by the time it's gone, gone through the sort of twists and turns of what everybody else contributes, it does end up being something quite different. And then the other thing is, is you know, there's no money now, right? right yeah. <laughs> so we cannot afford Robin Guthrie to produce it right. or, or anyone. So we have to produce it ourselves. And that means working out all that shit you know, between us, actually. <laughs> was that was that a little bit of a shock to you, the way the music industry had changed from the time you left to the time you came back? Or were you, I mean, were you, 
aware of every. I'm sure you were aware of what was going on with it, but did it hit home when you started with Peroshka as, as how much it had changed in those 20 years? Well, I mean, it wasn't that much of a shock because if I'm honest, this is back to what it was like at the beginning. You okay. know, most of the bands that I knew when I was first going to gigs did not have big budgets and, you know, they were indie labels did not throw tons of money at bands to yeah. get some producer and fly them out to LA, you know what I mean? And yeah. all of this, actually, that happened a bit later. And, you know, so actually, I think that the, what we're doing now is probably not that dissimilar to if I'd have formed a band in, you know, a, as we were at the very beginning of Lush, you know. Right. And, okay. You know, the the budgets are smaller. It is harder to make any money. I've got to admit, you know, we don't get a wage like we did when we first signed to 4AD. But then again, I'm not putting in the same amount of work. You know, it's funny. I found some <laughs> flyer the other day that was like an old lush flyer box of crap oh, around wow. me. But anyway, I'd noticed that it was like, I thought, fucking hell, these were like small gigs, but we were playing like twice a week, you know, in oh, London. Wow. And there's no way I can do that right now so if you know and much as i would love Poroshka to become something bigger and this that and the other i just don't have time all the energy actually you know and the idea of i would love to go to america and play but the idea of <laughs> schlepping around in a fucking you know splitter van for two weeks traveling like you know uh, drives between gigs oh <laughs> yeah making absolutely no money yeah. in fact losing money oh god <laughs> yeah that's that that's the problem that i would love to see you guys play live and in fact the as i was listening to the album to to get ready to speak with you the first couple times i listened to it i didn't need, i just i was just listening to it and enjoying it i didn't even write any notes down about it i, I couldn't i just kind of forgot I was just listening to the music like it's really good and then just doing do it doing my work and, and I'm like oh crap I didn't write anything down about any of these songs this is just it's just been playing it's just been great and uh so I, I just I've just enjoyed it so it's it's great it sounds like it like you said because you wrote it it's gonna sound it's gonna have parts of it that sound like lush but it's definitely more aggressive than a lot of the lush stuff that I've heard but I will say village of the damned Happiest song I've ever heard with a song title like that. It's great. <laughs> I love it. But my fa I think my favorite is Heartbeats. That song is absolutely beautiful. I love it. It's and it's I, it's a song about being a parent, and I've got three teenagers, and it the lyrics really hit me because I I see what you're saying. You know, I wish I could hold you and never not let you go and have to experience the the heartache and and the the pain that you're going to have to ex experience. So it's that song really does touch me personally, and I, I, I love absolutely love it. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm I'm living the song right now. <laughs> so 
<laughs> well, it's quite tricky, isn't it? Because I think, especially when I did that, the lyrics to the Out of Control um, EP, it was quite weird having not written lyrics for 20 years. And you do think, <laughs> well, you know, so many of the Lush songs, even if they don't seem it, there's a lot of, you know, songs about relationships and, you know, um, what, what it was like to be in your 20s and to try yeah. and find a completely different subject matter. I mean, you have to write about, I think, the stuff that you know and the stuff oh, yeah. that touches you. Yeah. But, you know, it's quite tricky writing a song about being a parent because, you know, it can be a bit pompous and a yeah. bit... Do you know what I mean? I, like, yep. oh, look at me with my precious child <laughs> and I'm this <laughs> loving... I'm just screaming with love and you know it's just bollocks isn't it you know yeah i mean i had a conversation on a podcast with someone who was saying you know and and he was lovely but he said you know really earnestly was saying you know i do think becoming a parent it you know it really changes you for the better and i'm not sure that people who don't have children understand how you know how to be so self-sacrificing and so loving and i i just think bullshit yeah i have seen fucking parents who have regressed People who were actually quite generalist and idealistic when they were younger and they become parents and they're so fucking grabby. Yeah. <laughs> my child, my child, my child. Only my child matters. Yeah. And, and, you know, he was right at one point, at, at one point, it does change you. That's yes. not necessarily always for the better. <laughs> Myself exactly. included. So it's, you know, it's quite a, a flawed and fragile experience to me. And I think... A lot of being a parent is about, you know, no parent can be a perfect parent. There's no perfect way to do it. If there was, right. we would all be doing it. There would be a book that tells you, and there aren't. There's five million books that tell you different things. Exactly. And, and I think it, it, but it feels incredibly, um, you know, like, oh, my God, what damage am I doing? Doing. You know, any th- <laughs> yeah. time you do something wrong, you think, oh, that's it, I've ruined them. Yes. I made this decision. It's That's going to be there forever, you know. So oh, it, and, gosh, it, yes. and I think, you know, that's quite an interesting experience, being a bit more forgiving with yourself as a flawed human being. Yeah. And, you know, just just doing, trying and failing and trying again and failing. I quite, I think that's... An experience I didn't expect because like any parent, I thought, you know, I'm going to have this baby. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to do this, 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 all the things that my parents did wrong. I'm not going to do those things. I'm yep. going to be fucking amazing. I'm never going to, you know, I'm always going to be there for them. I'm always going to listen to them. I'm going to be loving and bullshit. You know, it's yeah. like yep. four o'clock in the morning. You're like, let him fucking cry. He'll fall back. To yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. They're never going to learn if they don't do it themselves. <laughs> if I do everything for them. Oh, so it is. Uh, what's what's in the cards for Peroshka at this point? Are you guys going to be recording more, playing out more? Um, is 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 there much? Is, is there more of a future for Peroshka? Because I really enjoyed the album, and I hope there is. Yeah, yeah, we're writing at the moment. Um, We've awesome. already gone in the studio to, you know, we can't, we can't do a sort of great. We've got all the songs. Let's 
spend four weeks in the studio. <laughs> no, it's like, right, okay, I can do next Wednesday. <laughs> from <laughs> Thursday after that. <laughs> yeah, for, for about three hours. I got about a three hour block and then I got to get, get the kids. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we did a couple of days uh, this week, actually. So we've got a couple of songs up. So, yeah, we're, we're at the point where we're sort of writing and recording and, you know, trying to do things at the same time, but, you know, spread them out. And hopefully, hopefully it will mean we can get another record out next year. Oh, that would be you amazing. Know, if all goes well. Yeah. That would be wonderful because I really enjoyed uh, uh, Brickbat. That's the name of the album. I had to think about that for a second. That is, a, <laughs> it, it's a great, great. Now, what's, what's behind the name Poroshka? Because that's a that's an unusual name. It is an unusual name. Um, basically, it was we were just really struggling to come up with a name. Struggling <laughs> to come up with a name that nobody else has taken. I hear that I so many from so many people that come on this show with they're starting new bands. It's like everything's taken. <laughs> Everything, and I blame the sort of you know the MySpace kind of boom. I think because it's just you know everyone could form a band, everyone could put their stuff online, and so you know yeah. every band is known. And, you know, you sort of Google it. You think, oh, I've got a brilliant oh, – Google it. No, it's a, it's a Polish heavy metal band yeah. who had two albums out in the early <laughs> – oh, right, okay, not them. Yeah. Right. And you know, <laughs> every fucking name we came up with was taken. And it, we even mined the sort of Japanese route – I remember thinking of like Japanese names because even with with um, Lush, there was you know the the out of control. The label was Edamame, and we had like origami was a word we I don't know. They were like little Japanese. We quite like the sound of them. Yeah. Again, all taken, all fucking taken. Okay, Hungarian. Like my dad was Hungarian, my mum's Japanese. Yeah. And so I thought Hungarian. Here we go. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Very underused language. Exactly. Untapped. (laughs) It's an untapped resource. Yes. (laughs) And yes, so Piroshka is, uh, I mean, it's actually a name that it's almost like an, I think it is actually a women's name, but I always think of it more as a nickname because Pirosh is red. And so Piroshka is, you know, what you would might use as a nickname for someone with red hair, which kind of tied nicely back into the, Nikki from Lush thing, oh, and okay. then, and but it was also uh, Little Red Riding Hood. So memories from my childhood. Ah, uh, like. okay. Um, so yeah, you know. So and we thought, great, we found a fucking name that hasn't been used. That's it, right? <laughs> Let's just go with that. I'll tell you what. If you ever stuck, I found something that might help next time. I found a Benedict Cumberbatch name generator. Really? And all it does is it takes. It, it, it makes stupid-ass names that sound something like Benedict Cumberbatch. Right, okay. And it, it, it's like Bag Swaggle Crispy Noodle or something. You know, it's just really stupid stuff. But, you, you know, that's never been taken. So. so we basically come up with a name that sounds like a sort of upper-class actor. <laughs> exactly. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> right. But so where can everybody follow Proshka and, and you online if you're so inclined to have people follow you? I know you, you, the band is fine, but you personally, I'll leave that up to you. But how can people find more information about the band when new stuff's coming out, if you're playing out live? Um, I th- it's all on the social media sites. It's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I think it's Piroshka Band. I don't even fucking know, do I? That's how professional <laughs> I am. I think if you type in Piroshka Band, it will come up. Well, again, um, 
not too many Poroshkas out there. So no, that's no. the beauty. I think you might get taken to a a Hungarian clothing label if you just put Poroshka. <laughs> but then again, maybe that would be cool too. The thing is, is ours, but ours is spelt slightly differently because the S in Hungarian is on its own just sure. So we put the H in because I thought I can't be bothered to fucking explain to people yeah. how to pronounce it if it just said they'll just go Piroska. Yep. I think we're a scar band or something. Oh, so <laughs> that, you know, I didn't think of that. That, that good thinking. Good. Thing. <laughs> uh, well, Mick, thank you so much for spending so much time with you. I know you got places to go, and I really do thank you for the time you spent. But you're very welcome. It was good fun. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.